Good morning. Um, quick announcement, tomorrow is in fact day of prayer. So I uh, hope, that, hope that everyone can, can come out tomorrow at seven uh, at Rock City. Um, and then tonight, there are a few spaces left for the family style, family style dinner in the Kirk. So um, check your emails and sign up for that. I think it's it's, uh, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker for this morning, uh, Jenny Lynn Sweat. Uh, Jenny Lynn is a graduate of Covenant Seminary. She is an author of a new book, uh, Singleness, Living Faithfully. And she, yeah. Excellent. Um, and she is the director of adult ministries at Restoration Community Church in St. Louis. This is her first time speaking in chapel, so please give a warm Scots welcome to Jenny Lynn Sweat. Thank you. Well, good morning, Covenant. I am so glad to be here with you. Um, it's great to see your beautiful faces and uh, to be here on campus with you. Thank you for organizing such a beautiful day for me to be here. Um, it is great to be spending some time with you this morning. Um, well, I serve on staff at a PCA church in St. Louis, uh, but I grew up as a Baptist in Minnesota. And okay, yeah, Baptist Minnesotans, hello. Glad that you're here. So. I had never even heard of Covenant College until well after my own college years were passed. Uh, I spent my college years at a private, private liberal arts college in Minnesota that was also on top of a hill, although not quite as high as this one. Um, but I visited Chattanooga and even explored Rock City the summer after my sophomore year in college. And I had no idea that this gem was hidden right up the road. I never could have anticipated how many Covenant graduates I'd eventually come to know nor how many free Covenant t-shirts I would one day own. It's really kind of surprising. I first came to this beautiful campus in the summer of 2015 when I accompanied the youth group from my church um, on a trip with Hope for the Inner City. As we wandered the very quiet campus, I thought about several Covenant grads in my church. And I was surprised to realize that everyone who came to my mind was married, and not only married, but they had also met their spouse here at Covenant. Okay, so that made me really curious about the campus culture here. <laughs> Y'all, man, this is fun. So I wondered if it was anything like my undergrad experience, where at a freshman orientation event, we were instructed to shake hands and introduce ourselves to all those around us. And at the end of that little exercise, the facilitator said, congratulations, you probably just met your future spouse. Sound familiar? Well, as it turns out, I did not meet my future spouse that day. And it seems, it seems highly unlikely at this point that if I do end up marrying, I will be marrying a fellow St. Olaf College graduate. But if that facilitator had said to me, congratulations, you're heading for at least two more decades of singleness, I would have said there must be some mistake. Or at least I would have asked for condolences instead of congratulations. 
because this was not the life that I expected or dreamed of. My childhood visions of a wedding have, not yet, to, have yet to be fulfilled, and despite a couple of serious relationships and a few friendships that felt a little too much like relationships, I have not found a husband. And though I would have figured I'd be far into parenthood by now, there is no one who calls me mom. I wonder what you're expecting or dreaming of as you sit here in this room today. Would you indulge me with a little more group participation? When I give you your cue, you have three options. If you're like me and kind of dread the thought of being 42 and still single or single again, give a thumbs down. I won't be offended. Wait till I give you your cue. If you're sitting here thinking, <laughs> if you're sitting here thinking, I'd actually really be okay with that. In fact, I might even prefer it. Give me a thumbs up. And if you're not sure, or if your real answer feels a little too vulnerable to share, just give a thumb sideways. All right? One, two, three, go. Okay. Okay. Good. This is some, this is some hard data and research that I'm seeing here. Mixed reviews, some emphatic thumbs downs, yeah. Some enthusiastic thumbs up. Good, so you're kind of all over the place, which is not surprising. I'm glad to get a glimpse of where you're at with this. So if my college-age self was sitting in your seat, I would have absolutely given a thumbs down. But did you notice that my thumb was up just now? Because even though this is not the life that I would choose or prefer, I'm okay. And this morning, I want to talk about why and how I can say that. Now, as I talk about singleness today, this topic may very much resonate with some of you. You might be single but longing for a relationship or marriage. You might be single and not feel a desire for marriage. Or perhaps you've had a front row seat to a broken marriage and, whether, and wrestle with whether you'd want to go down that path yourself. My parents divorced my freshman year of college, so if that's you, I can certainly relate and my heart breaks with yours. You may be same-sex attracted and trying to figure out what faithfulness looks like for you. I've been so grateful for the vulnerable labors of many same-sex attracted sisters and brothers who've been helping the church to cultivate a more robust theology of singleness. But maybe you're here this morning and you're married or engaged or at least feeling pretty sure that you'll head that way. And if that's you, I would humbly ask you to keep listening because at least two things are true. First, you may experience singleness again in your life. Even the healthiest of marriages will end in death, and one partner will once again navigate life solo. But second, and perhaps more importantly for today, just as you have many single friends sitting around you right now, you will always have single folks in your life, in your extended family, your church, your neighborhood, your workplace, and you will do well to learn from them and encourage them and enjoy relationship with them as they experience the unique blessings and challenges of singleness alongside you experiencing the unique blessings and challenges of marriage. And as you discover that in our shared humanity, there is much more that unites us regardless of our marital status. And that often includes living with unfulfilled desires or circumstances that we didn't choose or plan for. So let's turn our attention to God's word and read the words of the hymn in Psalm 16. Listen along with me to these words from David. Psalm 16. David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. 
I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I've come to understand that singleness is more of a place I live in than a season that I'm in. Seasons by nature will change. Being a college student is a season. Having young kids is a season. If I marry, perhaps singleness will look like a season in hindsight, but for now I have no guarantee of change. So instead of wondering when this long winter will end and putting my life on hold till it does, it has helped me to think of singleness as a place to live. David says in Psalm 16 that the lines have fallen for him in pleasant places. He's, he's using the imagery of land allotment here, the little or maybe big corner of the world that God had given him to tend, to steward, and to call home. I would not have imagined being able to say that this place called singleness could be a pleasant one, but it has become just that. Because God is my refuge, because I have the saints around me, and because I have the secure hope of a glorious future. So for me, singleness has been a pleasant place because God is my refuge. God has been my refuge in all the times when singleness does not feel like a pleasant place. Along with David, I can say with confidence that the Lord is where I can dwell secure, where I cannot be shaken. He is where I find all my good. He has been my refuge in times of loneliness, in times of heartbreak, in times of rejection, it's kind of the worst feeling, in times of fear and anxiety, and all sorts of fears and anxieties come up in the course of life, and especially in singleness, in the grief of unfulfilled dreams, in struggling with sexual temptation and sin, in doubting whether my physical body really matters if I'm not having sex or bearing children, in the vulnerable messiness of a crush that makes me feel like I'm right back in middle school. He's been my refuge when others get what I want. And it's only by finding refuge in him and fighting to remember his goodness to me that I can rejoice with those who rejoice. He's been a refuge for me in times of weariness. There are times when living in an unwanted place or season feels like labor. It's an effort to show up, to keep pursuing faithfulness, to keep leaning into relationships, to keep living in the light rather than hiding in the false comfort of darkness. But I can assure you of this. God sees our labors. And as we just sang, our labors are not in vain. With God as our refuge, we can do this work as those who are secure. 
not trying to earn his love or provision or to prove our worth, but as those who already have everything we need. For those of us who are single and faithfully following the Lord, that means we are not on hold or incomplete. We are not lesser Christians. How could we be when the Christ we follow lived his years on earth as a single man? When I've taken refuge in God in all these times, I've never been met with anything but kindness. His arms are open. His chest is big and broad. Whether I need to lay my head on it or pound my fists on it, he can take it. He sees me. He sees me. And he smiles as he welcomes me home. He offers comfort, healing, rest, and nourishment. And he assures me that because he is both my creator and my redeemer, he gets the first and last word on my worth and value. He moved heaven and earth to make me his own. He sent his beloved son, our big brother Jesus, to live life on earth in a coupled, family-oriented society as a single, childless man. Jesus knew loneliness, rejection, betrayal. He knew what it was to feel like a misfit. He knew what it was to plead with God for a change. Even now, Jesus is waiting to be united with his bride, the church. So when the days seem long, I can remember that he has waited even longer, and he is with me in this. How are you needing to take refuge in God and find companionship with Jesus today in the place that he has you? The second way that singleness has been able to be a pleasant place for me is because I have the saints surrounding me. God has given us the saints. David wrote in verse 3 of Psalm 16, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The saints are God's people, the church, the household or family of God, the body of Christ. And it is because of them that I have been blessed in this place of singleness. A few ways that the saints have been a blessing to me. I think of the family who invites me to their dinner table, and their three-year-old asks me, what was your high today? The brother of mine who came late one night to deal with the two mice who were stuck on a sticky trap in my kitchen, and I did not want to deal with them. Um, and the sister, who is his wife, who encouraged him to leave his house late at night and deal with rodents, which was not his preferred way to spend a Friday evening. The friend and her daughter, who years ago answered a desperate text where I said, I don't think I have it in me to decorate for Christmas by myself this year. Do you want to come and help me put up my tree? And they've come every year since with bells on to decorate my tree with me. Two of our youth group kids wrote me a, a note last Mother's Day thanking me for adopting them into our church family. And there are the friends who let me cry on their couch when buying a house seemed necessary but far too daunting to do alone. And then they joined me as I signed my closing papers exactly 11 months later to the date that I was crying on their couch. These are just a few of the ways that the saints have been a blessing to me. I've long wrestled with Psalm 37.4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. To my younger self, this felt like a guarantee that my desire for a husband and children would one day be fulfilled. As the years go on and the longing has persisted, so has my wrestling and crying out to God in lament. But I've also seen something else happen. 
He's fulfilled aspects of these desires in unexpected ways. He's shown me how my desire to cultivate a home and a family can be a blessing to the saints and my church family and the community around me. And I love the picture that C.S. Lewis offers of what this can look like in his book, The Great Divorce. In The Great Divorce, the narrator and his guide visit heaven, and they see a breathtaking procession in which angels and many other creatures dance around a radiant woman. The narrator asks his guide about her, and he replies, It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. The narrator says, Well, she seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. Aye, she is one of the great ones. Ye have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are all these young men and women on each side? They are her sons and daughters. Well, she must have had a very large family, sir. Every young man or boy that met her became her son, even if it is only the boy that brought the meat to her back door. Every girl that met her was her daughter. Isn't that a bit hard on their own parents? No, the guide says, there are those that steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. Few men looked on her without becoming, in a certain fashion, her lovers, but it was the kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. Every beast and bird that came near her had its place in her love. In her they became themselves, and now the abundance of life she has in Christ from the Father flows into them. Sarah Smith has been such a picture for me of what I want my life to look like as I think about relationships with the family of God around me. Because in the community of saints, we have the opportunity to be people of particular importance to one another beyond the biological relationships that are typically expected. Several years ago, I joined a friend to pick up her young son from school. We went out to the playground where he and some friends were playing, and a little girl, girl ran up to us and pointed at me and said, is this his grandma? In her world, I'm sure that the people who would show up to pick a kid up from school were either mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. So she knew mom was there, I must be grandma. But in the church family, we have the opportunity to show up for each other as big brothers and sisters, as aunties and uncles, as spiritual dads and moms, which offers a beautiful picture to the watching world. I grew up in a sweet church that loved me well. It was a place of stability and a place where I always felt at home, even when my own home didn't quite feel stable. It's exactly what I hope the children and youth of my church experience now. And in my adulthood, I've been fortunate to continue to find myself in good churches, especially the one I've been part of for nearly 15 years in St. Louis. Certainly there have been disappointments and frustrations and conflicts along the way. I've been hurt and I've hurt others. But overall, in my experience, I can say wholeheartedly that the community of saints has not only been a delight, but an essential aspect of my relationship with God and of my endurance and faithful singleness. So in some ways, it's easy for me to talk about the importance of being in relationship with the saints of God in the church, but I don't take that for granted. Churches haven't always done a great job of loving and supporting single adults well, and for many that has brought discouragement and heartache, adding insult to the injury of feeling alone. But that's a big part of why I keep writing and talking about singleness. I don't do it because it's especially fun or because it's my favorite topic, 
but because I want to help our churches love our single saints well, and because I want our single brothers and sisters to find delight in the community of the saints. How have you found delight in the community of saints? How have you been excellent to them? The third reason that singleness can be a pleasant place for me is that my future is secure. Our future is secure. David writes, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Comfort and control are two of my biggest idols. This world is full of uncertainties, full of things to fear, and that can be especially true when navigating it alone. Whether it's when my car is acting up or I have a big decision to make or when there's a bat flying around in my basement. Feel free to notice the theme of critters. Life gives us countless opportunities for insecurity, and there are particular ways that singleness can exacerbate those insecurities. So I would like to do everything possible to protect myself from vulnerability, to keep myself safe, to avoid scarcity. But I know that God hears me saying all of that, and he gently shakes his head and says, that's my job. I've got this. My security is not in getting married. It's also not in staying single. It's not in my job. It's not in my house. It's not in my bank account or my 401k. It's not even in my church family. All of these are good things, but our security is never in God's gifts. It's in God himself. And this is something that continued singleness has shown me over and over. Through these years, I've not only experienced my own disappointments, but I've seen and walked alongside so many others and have seen how the earthly things that we put our hope in will eventually fail. And what doesn't fail will still be abruptly interrupted by death. My first trip to Chattanooga was during the summer after my junior year of college. I was working for an organization that runs mission trips for, our, for church, church youth groups. And my team and I came to help the team that was based here for the summer. One of our activities that week was to take our group of middle school kids to see Rock City. As we stood at Lookout Point, I overheard one of my teammates telling some of the kids who were using the viewfinders that if they looked hard enough, they could see the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> some of them got frustrated that they couldn't see it, uh, to which my coworker said, oh, it must be because it's kind of a cloudy day out there in the distance. God bless middle schoolers, and God forgive us for all the fun we had at their expense. But I think sometimes when it comes to talking about the security that we have in Christ and the future hope we have in God, it feels really far-fetched. It feels like someone is telling us that if we really squint, we can see the Statue of Liberty from the mountain. Can we trust that God won't abandon us? Will we ever receive that beautiful inheritance? Will we, will we really experience pleasures forevermore? But here's the thing. We can trust these promises. We can trust them because God has shown himself trustworthy. He has kept every promise he's made to his people along the way. In Romans 5, Paul writes that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
and that hope will not put us to shame. How can we know that? Because God has already given us Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So we can trust that he will also give us that beautiful inheritance, fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore. The fact that we can't see New York City from Lookout Mountain doesn't mean that the Statue of Liberty is a figment of our, of our connect, collective imagination. It's real. I've seen it. I just had to wait several years and travel many more miles to get there. God is taking us down that path step by step. And what a privilege we have to get to walk each other home. The lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. I have seen the goodness of the Lord, and I hope that that is something that you can say about the place that God has you to. In these pleasant places that God has given us, we still encounter thorns and thistles that frustrate our labors. We become ever more aware of our human limitations. We find ourselves in conflict with creation, with others, and with God. We experience all the heartache of life under the sun. But because Jesus came to dwell with us here, because he felt all of that heartache with us, and because his death and resurrection guaranteed our position as heirs to our Heavenly Father's limitless fortune, we know that we will ultimately dwell secure in the most pleasant of places. He's getting it ready for us now and saving a seat for you and for me at his wedding feast. So this morning, even if your heart is broken, aching, weary, anxious, or doubtful, I hope and pray that this news makes your heart a little more glad. No matter our circumstances or our relationship status, we have the Lord as our refuge. We have the community of saints surrounding us, and we have the promise of a glorious future. I'm looking forward to getting to spend some time with some of you over lunch today, and I'll be on campus this afternoon and would love to talk with any of you more about these things. If you'd like to chat, just feel free to come find me. Um, but would you pray with me? God, I thank you for being our refuge. I thank you that you have given us the gift of the saints so that we don't have to live this life alone. And I thank you for the hope that we have that you have given us a beautiful inheritance. Lord, the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places, and I pray that that would be something we can say with greater and greater confidence. Thank you for loving us, for keeping your promises, and for seeing us, that our labors would not be in vain. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.